Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where the events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Jay Swords. And my name is John Keeley. This is the podcast segment of our show that is not broadcast on Station KLA. Our guest for our 356th show is Danielle Cybolski, author and podcaster, who is talking about her book, Life in Medieval Europe, Fact or Fiction. Our history buff for today is Brett Menard. And Brett, uh, you have a question for her. I do. So one of the areas that is filled with fictions is um, people's understanding of the history of women. So what are the biggest um, errors people make when they think about women in the Middle Ages? Well, um, I think that the, that people are really influenced by ideas of what women should be. <laughs> so you had a lot of priests um, and men writing at the time saying women should be silent, they should be obedient, they should be all these things. Uh, that's because they weren't. So you, see, <laughs> you see a lot of people who will say it's inaccurate to have a woman speaking her mind in this book, um, in this movie, and it's actually not. Uh, women are human beings. They had things to say, and they did say them. Uh, just because the priests didn't want them to didn't mean that they didn't. Um, another thing that, that people should know about women is they were very, very capable. And so if you have you have men who are, for example, landholders that are going from one place to another for war or for administration, when they left, it was their wives that were in charge of everything. So we have this idea of women kind of sitting around sewing all the time, keeping their mouths shut. They actually had a lot of power, especially in places like southern France, when their husbands were away especially, and they they took care of business in their own name. Um, A lot of women, when they were widowed, they didn't remarry. Only about a third of women remarried because it gave them more more power to do what they wanted. (laughs) Women were actually more independent than we think more independent than women have been in periods before and after the Middle Ages, although they did have some restrictions on them that we do need to keep in mind. They were more independent than we tend to assume. Well, and I think there's a, you know, we've, we always finish the radio uh, segment with the, you know, what's relevant and why is this relevant? But, but here's a pretty good example of that, because that's true in today's world, too. I, you know, I think of very traditional Hispanic culture, um, which has which is very male dominated on its face, and then you you talk to to folks and you look at what's actually happening, and and it's the wife who runs the household, who manages the purse strings, who who makes all of those important day to day decisions, and I, I think we have a tendency sometimes to just take things at face value instead of thinking about what's really going on. So it's it's good, you know. Here's an example of that a thousand years ago, and I don't think that's changed. Yeah, I mean, you do. I mean, you do have women who might have made themselves smaller on the surface to not create waves, and you see that a lot now. But behind the scenes, there's a lot going on, and they were very. I mean, we we don't give them enough credit for their intelligence and resourcefulness, and just the the fact that they were smart people, every bit as smart as their male counterparts. I would say smarter. Um, well, then let's take that a step further. Uh, what are the stereotypes that Hollywood and fiction create like with women within the community you always see these you know the movies are having that the the leaders are all 
these dominant men, but as kind of what Jay was talking about, and I think we're all talking about here, um, I'm sure there's records to show that in small communities or obviously maybe even larger ones, that women had a greater say there than what's being presented. Do you think that's true? I think that any time that you have women, you have uh, more more stuff going on than it might appear you know, despite what you might have in text or in history or things like that. Um, and women had very important roles. So for another example is queens. They could, they were the ones who were petitioned to ask the king for mercy. And their role, we talked about this on a podcast with Helen Castor, their role was to ask the king for mercy on behalf of everybody else. And this was so that the king could save face by saying, I'm doing this because my wife is asking me and we are... We are partners in a sense. So her job was to kind of shift the king's policies in a way that he could he could make himself more merciful than he could if he was just trying to be as masculine as, as everyone was asking him to be. So women had all sorts of roles that are undervalued, I think, then and now. Danielle, I have a I have a question and I hope this doesn't sound bad since it's coming on the wonderful discussion on women. But um, <laughs> but what about, um, let's call it deviant behavior and things like that in the Middle Ages? Again, we often have the movies, you know, where we have the... Um, the uh, the strumpet or the harlot or whatever phraseology the the director picked out um, on every street corner or in all of these you know sleazy brothels and so forth and and you know that's that's your option if you aren't one of the one of the beautiful people that's kind of what you were stuck being um, I suspect that there are some myths there so kind of kind of shape up our our sense of medieval sex history since we're on a podcast. Okay. Okay. Well, this is this is a huge topic, but if we're just talking about uh, women and we're talking about kind of hetero ideas, then we we haven't strayed very far from the idea that women should be virginal or they should be very sexualized. Um, and this is something that that's very common in the Middle Ages as well, right? So you have the idea where if she's not virginal, if she's not a wife, then she is sexually out of control. Um, she she is. Uh, ready to be a prostitute or something like that. Now, in the modern world, we tend to think that it's men who are hypersexual, that they are the ones that are always pursuing it and that women are always refusing it. Um, in the Middle Ages, they thought that it was women who were hypersexual. Um, and this had to do with things like they were too emotional and they, they were not in control of their faculties. So, <laughs> so men were the ones who were kind of colder in the bedroom and women were the ones who were insatiable. And so that's kind of a reversal. But I think if we're talking about modern TV, well, <laughs> there's problems with our modern world where we still see women as being either kind of domestic, where their sexuality is controlled in, in marriage, or they're just, they're unreasonable, they're prostitutes, they're out there. And uh, often still in modern media, we see a bad end for women who are, you know, sexually free. You saw that in the Middle Ages, you still see that today. Okay, uh, Brett, can you talk to us a bit about um, misconceptions about medieval justice? Okay. <laughs> yes. 
you guys are really putting me through my paces. <laughs> well, uh, we saw the title of the book, and we realized we had a lot to cover. Yeah, and, and, and be thankful. Be thankful, Danielle, that, that John hasn't said in a synopsis yet, because that would really put you through your paces. Hey, that's a classic line. Go on. Um, So medieval justice, the biggest one probably is that um, we think that people got executed all the time. And part of the reason for this is that a death sentence was the punishment for a lot of crimes when it was listed in the law codes. So things like thievery, they can be punished by death. But that didn't mean that that's what actually happened in practice. In practice, when people were charged with things, they were put on trial. Uh, it wasn't usually summary. Like, it wasn't somebody just decided you were guilty. They, put, they were put on trial. They had witnesses. They had forensic evidence. And in the end, often people were not punished with violence. They were punished with fines. And they were often not executed. They were often exiled instead. Because if you exile someone from the community... Your problem is solved. You didn't have to execute them, and you didn't have to worry if you executed them unjustly. So you didn't have to have that, you know, problem of maybe executing someone innocent on your soul. So we think that people were executed a lot. There are different places where the evidence suggests that maybe someone was executed in a smaller town, maybe once a generation. Not very often. And so we think that there are always people running around, like, lopping off heads. Um, but that's just not how it happened. And, and wasn't there a fairly strong uh, financial incentive? Uh, Sarah Butler is, is a common guest on our show, and she's talked about this in, in three or four different contexts. And there were financial repercussions for the community if you went around exiling people. Uh, what did we do with spouses and children and all of those kinds of things? So, so they had some good practical reasons. Again, going back to you, these guys weren't stupid. That, you know, mm-hmm. they, they tended to do what made the most sense most of the time. Yeah, and Sarah's really an expert on the law. I haven't met her, but I've read her stuff, and she knows a lot about the law. So she, she knows a lot more even than I do about that. So, But, yeah, there's, there's codes like um, Anglo-Saxon codes, for example, that say, um, I should say early English codes that said, um, if you cut someone's ear off by accident, here's the fine for it. If you cut someone's foot off by accident, here's the fine for it. And it was kind of on a sliding scale based on <laughs> your your prestige in the community and whether you could still perform your function in society. And it was meant to prevent things like vendettas and it was meant to prevent more violence. So financial, uh, financial penalties were a lot more common than physical ones. Danielle, I, I get the honor of having the, the last question here. Um, All right. Your, uh, your, your favorite century is toward the end of the Middle Ages, as we're, as we're heading in some places at least toward the Renaissance. Um, what would you say would be the biggest myth um, about that sort of transition point between the Middle Ages and the Renaissance? Um. I think that we tend to see the Middle Ages as a time where people were filled with fear. And when I see the changes between um, the Middle Ages and what you're calling the Renaissance, I tend to call the early modern period, is people were more intolerant, they were more prejudiced, they were more fearful. So when we see witch trials, that's the early modern period. When we see people stop going to the bathhouse, that's the early modern period. 
when we see more divisions in religion, that's the early modern period. So I see that there is more um, fear and more intolerance as we get further into the early modern period. Um, and that's something that all the stuff that we attribute to the Middle Ages is, it tends to be the early modern period. And the more you dig into history, the more you kind of see the differences between that. And yeah, my favorite century is not, not super close to the early modern period, but as you say, edging up to it. Um, and rules and restrictions and intolerances become more solidified within the early modern period. All right. Well, we would like to thank our guest for this 356th show, Danielle Cybulski, author and podcaster. We've been talking about her book, Life in Medieval Europe, Fact and Fiction. The history buff for today's show was Brett Menard. You can listen to ROI as it's being broadcast on Friday nights on KLA HD2, 88.5 FM and 106.1 FM in the Quad City region at six, or excuse me, at 9.30 p.m. You can also listen to the show as it's being broadcast on TuneIn.com. Put K-A-K-A-L-A-H-D-2 in the search box and look for ROI. Many of our previously recorded shows can be heard at SoundCloud.com. Just put K-A-L-A radio in the search box and look for ROI. ROI is recorded at station KALA, St. Ambrose University.